Section 20 of Unvarnished Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unvarnished Tales by William McKay. The Devil's Playthings. On the first day of April in the year of our Lord, 1875, the following advertisement appeared in the Times newspaper. Housemaid and companion, wanted immediately, a smart, active young woman who thoroughly understands her business, a small house and only one in family. Washing given out, must have first-class references, good wages given. Send copies of discharges to Mrs. G. Lambert Cottage, Thornton Heath. The Mrs. G., who advertised in these terms, was a widow lady named Gillison, and among those who applied for the situation was Susan Copeland, of the village of Stockbury in the county of Kent. How a copy of the Times happened to arrive in Stockbury does not appear upon the evidence, but in all probability it had been sent to the vicar and the wife of that worthy clergyman who had an insatiable thirst for knowledge that is to be obtained from the advertisements, came upon this want of Mrs. Gillison and brought it before the notice of Susan Copeland. Susan was a model villager, the prize girl of Stockbury, and having served brilliantly as an under-nurse to the vicar's family, she was now anxious, as the saying goes, to better herself. Susan was a tall, brown-eyed girl. She affected great simplicity in her dress, wore her hair brushed flat down on her forehead, and in a general way looked more like a Puritan maiden than is customary with the daughters of Kentish farmers. Susan was eighteen years of age and was engaged to Thomas Ashe. As Susan Copeland was the model girl of Stockbury, it was only right that she should become engaged to the model young man. And that young man was Tom. He had secured all the prizes in the boys' department while she had been sedulously engaged in acquiring all the honors from the girls. Indeed, these two swooped down upon the prize list, and by reason of their superior attainments and conspicuous virtue swept off all before them. Satisfied with the vicar's report, Mrs. Gillison of Thornton Heath engaged Susan in the real and somewhat unusual capacity of housemaid and companion, at a yearly salary of twenty pounds, which to a Stockbury girl appeared a tolerable fortune, and it was arranged that Thomas Ashe should take his betrothed to London and deliver her safely at the house of Mrs. Gillison. There was much sorrow in the village of Stockbury when Susan took her departure for the great metropolis and her boxes contained many tokens of affectionate esteem in which she was held by her contemporaries. All thoughts of rivalry were now lost in a universal sentiment of sorrow. It was felt that in losing Miss Copeland, Stockbury was robbed of much of its moral luster. It is not necessary to enumerate the presents which her friends forced upon her. Most of them had taken the shape of literature, and ranged from the dairyman's daughter to the hymnal of the inimitable Watts, from Baxter's Saint's Rest, presented by the vicar, to a highly colored history of Jack and the Beanstalk, the gift of a small brother. So beloved, respected, and lamented, 
Susan left her native village, proudly escorted by the man who, hereafter, was to lead her to the altar. Mrs. Gillison, when she had duly inspected, cross-examined, and examined in chief her new housemaid and companion, professed herself entirely satisfied, and Susan, who had a fine literary taste of her own, was delighted to find that her duties would be very light, and that she would have the coveted leisure in which to improve her mind. Mrs. Gillison was an active, smart little woman who did her own cooking. There was, moreover, a boy kept on the premises to carry coal, clean boots, and perform other menial offices. Indeed, Susan's duties were, in the first place, to keep clean the few rooms of which Lambert Cottage consisted, and to afford Mrs. Gillison that companionship which is found desirable by widow ladies of a certain age." mrs gillison was not a lady of much education her husband had been a pork butcher in the walworth road and it was part of susan's duty to read to her in the evening the entertaining fictions which she purchased when she took her walks abroad the old lady was omnivorous but chiefly relished the stirring fictions compiled by the penny dreadful authors and at times had appetite for such boys literature as dealt with pirates or robbers or the wild indians of the west dickens she rated a low feller but she reveled in ouida and was particularly partial to the earlier fictions of bulwer lighton Susan Copeland's excursions into the field of fiction had hitherto gone no further than ministering children and other books with a religious purpose. Her mind, therefore, became greatly expanded while reading for her mistress, and she became possessed of many views of life which were to her at once strange and stimulating. When Susan had been three months with the widow of the pork butcher, her mistress handed her five golden sovereigns, that being the amount of wages then due, and Susan went out to the contiguous village of Croydon to purchase a new bonnet. She had never before purchased a headdress so fashionable. Her tastes, however, had improved since she left the little village of Stockbury, and she wanted a bonnet which would suit her new style of doing her hair, for— with the consent of her mistress, she no longer wore her hair brushed flat down on the forehead like a Puritan, but adopted the fashionable fringe just then to the eternal shame of English womanhood coming into vogue. A housemaid and companion is a more privileged person than a housemaid or a companion, and when Susan returned from Croydon with her purchase, she walked into Mrs. Gillison's sitting room without knocking at the door. Mrs. Gillison was sitting at the table and started when her servant entered. Started, then grew pale, then grew red, and then looked down with a shame-faced expression, more like that of a peccant schoolgirl than that of a grown woman. On the table before her lay a pack of cards with their faces exposed. Mrs. Gillison had, in fact, been discovered in the act of playing patience. It would be ridiculous to assert that the mere act of engaging in this very monotonous and even foolish pursuit is wicked in itself, and should occasion a blush on the cheek of matured innocence. But Susan Copeland had been brought up to consider cards the devil's plaything, and Mrs. Gillison had often heard her express her opinions on the subject when she happened upon an allusion to the card table in any of the novels which she read. 
Indeed, so great was the confusion of the widow at being discovered in the midst of an occupation which that model Sunday scholar regarded with honest and hearty aversion, that not only did she blush, she added to her sin by uttering a deliberate falsehood. I, I was only telling my fortune, she said in an apologetic tone, but in the countenance of her maid she saw pictured neither aversion nor reproach, but only awakened interest and active curiosity. She took up a king and an ace, regarded them carefully, and then said slowly, And these are real cards? Much relieved, her mistress answered, Of course, there ain't much harm in em, is there? Not to look at, replied the cautious handmaiden, but I suppose the wickedness is in the playing with them. Not a bit. There never was a better man than my husband, and me and him played cribbage every night of our lives. Susan never took her eyes off the king and ace which she still held. She was fascinated. She had even forgotten about her new bonnet. She said in a dreamy, half-conscious sort of way, I believe it must be in the playing the wickedness is. I would like to see what it is. Will you show me so that I may avoid it? Never in her life did Mrs. Gillison comply more willingly with a request. Of course, my dear, of course. Sit down opposite me there. Pick them all up. That's right. Now, hand them to me. This is the way we shuffle. Do you see? And that's the way we cut. There's no harm in that, is there? Now, run and fetch the cribbage board off my chest of drawers. It's a long board with ivory in it and a lot of little holes at the side. Run along. In another half hour, Susan had begun to master the intricacies of the game and was pegging away with an ardor which astonished even Mrs. Gillison, who was delighted at this new departure. The last words she said to herself as she turned into bed were, what a treasure that girl is, to be sure. Strange to relate, the following evening found Mrs. Gillison and Susan Copeland sitting at the same table with the same cribbage board between them, evincing the same determined interest in the game. Susan had quite made up her mind that she had not yet arrived at the sinful phase of card-playing. I suppose, she ventured on this occasion, that the sin of it is in when you play for money. I don't see no sin in playing for money. Me and my husband always played sixpence a game. Suppose, suppose, said Susan doubtfully, that we try, just to see. Mrs. Gillison was delighted. She was at heart as determined a gambler as ever punted at Monaco. She had now discovered in her paragon the only virtue in which she had considered her wanting. So they continued their game only playing for sixpences. When Mrs. Gillison retired that night, her last observation was, "'Ow that girl do improve in her card-playing to be sure!' And, indeed, Mrs. Gillison did not do her protege more than justice. She did improve with rapid strides. The same faculty which enabled her to take away the village school prizes from all comers now gave her the power of acquiring the mysteries of the pack. In time, she began to consider cribbage a somewhat slow amusement, and her mistress, nothing loath, undertook to open for her the beauties of écarté. 
This Susan considered an altogether more agreeable pastime, and after she had played it a week, her mistress on going to bed made this remark. The way that girl turns up the king is astonishing. It was astonishing. In fact, Susan turned the king up with such success that at the end of 12 months, her mistress owed her 500 pounds, which she could not pay. Then it was that Susan discovered the sinfulness of cards. It consisted in playing and not paying. She told her mistress so, and considered that she was only doing her duty as a religious and well-brought-up young woman in warning that abandoned person of the danger of giving way to habits of dishonesty. This little monetary difficulty occasioned unpleasantness between mistress and maid. Relations between them became strained. Mrs. Gillison was, to use her own expression, dying for a game of cards, and Susan Copeland refused to play except for ready money. Eventually, it became so apparent that the unscrupulous old woman either would not or could not pay what she had lost, that Susan, in defense of her just rights, was obliged to call in her legal adviser. Thomas Ashe, still true to his Susan, and pining at a separation so lengthened, had obtained a situation in the London police, and, although he had not succeeded in getting put upon the Thornton Heath district, he felt that he was near his sweetheart, and could occasionally have an interview with her when off duty. One evening, Susan told her mistress that her friend had called, and the old lady, now looking worn and faded, followed her maid to the kitchen, where, to her great surprise and terror, she beheld a policeman of formidable size and severe aspect. She burst out crying and begged Susan to spare her, not to arrest her, and she would pay all. She would indeed." Thomas Ashe reassured the lady, informing her that he was present in his private capacity to advise, not in his public capacity to arrest. He was present to assist, not to alarm. The advice which he gave was simple and direct. He advised her to sell her house and furniture, and so settle Susan's demand. The defaulting gambler at first refused, but Thomas Ashe put the heinousness of her crime in such a very strong light that she at last consented, and Lambert Cottage, with its contents, became the property of strangers. Ashe left the police and took a beer house called the Spotted Cow, and in due course married Susan. They are greatly respected by their customers and have shown unexampled kindness to the wretched woman who tried to rob the gentle Susan. They have, for a consideration paid quarterly, given Mrs. Gillison a home, and she endeavors to prove her gratitude by doing all the kitchen work, mending the socks of the only child, and preparing the linen for another, which is daily expected. Sometimes Susan will lend her six pennies of an evening with which to play cribbage, and they will play quite happily till the paragon has won the pennies all back again. End of section 20